Welcome to the Regular People Podcast. I'm Wade Allen, and today I'm joined by Ariel. Ariel, hi, yes, that's me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think today we're going to be talking a lot about, well, maybe, I don't know how much, but about suburban education uh-huh. and uh, mental health uh-huh. and uh, maybe whatever else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were the first person on the podcast. Yep. And I was like, um, <laughs> yeah, that was like June or July or something yep. last year that I recorded that uh-huh and then i sat on it for a few months um until i had like five other recordings to mm-hmm. release them um so yeah now you're back yep. it's gonna be episode 22 whoa that's wild <laughs> nice yeah i've um, Good job, Wade. Dang. <laughs> it, it's it's harder to keep going with the episodes than i thought it would be yeah because i have a list of ideas like a people that i would like to do a podcast episode with mm-hmm. and that list is pretty long but then mm-hmm. it's like how many of them can i actually mm-hmm. nail down a date and like because I get people who are like, yeah, I'd like to be on the podcast, but then like if I'm like, okay, do you want to do it like this week or like next week, and they're like, you know, don't respond or oh, whatnot. Oh, nice, so yeah. It's uh working around people's schedules. Yeah, it's been yeah. a challenge to do that. So like August, I didn't record any episodes. Oh damn. Which I felt bad about because <laughs> ideally, in my mind, I want to yeah. be I want to be recording like two episodes a month. Yeah, yeah. Or at the very least, like one a month. Yeah, that's okay. Get one dry spell in a year. That's pretty good. <laughs> No, I think this year I've had a few dry spells, but oh, okay. yeah. My uh, my goal at the beginning of this year was to record 20 episodes, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm on track to, to reach that goal. Okay, but all you need to do is record, like, how many you got so far? Like, 12. Okay, you, you just pump out eight before December 31st? Yeah, eight in like three months, so I would need to do, yeah, like three. No press. You just work a full-time job and, and, and you just adopt a cat. You can do it. No sweat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did adopt a cat. Yeah, I, I wanted you to meet the cat today because it's pretty cute. Oh, um, pancake the yeah. cat. <laughs> yeah, pancake. Yeah, we had three people over yesterday and uh-huh. it was just hiding the whole time because <laughs> three was too many. Yeah. We've had the cat for a week. So Yeah. Oh, and it's like three God. months old. Oh, my gosh. Where did you guys adopt um, her from? I don't remember what county because I wasn't there. I had to go to work, but... Adrian went, it was like Ozaki Oh, was County. Kind of Humane Society. Okay. Humane Society, yeah. Yeah, sick. But okay, great. Is there only one of those, like, uh, shelters, or is there, like, one? There of are multiple. So, yeah. the Wisconsin Humane Society has locations here, Door County, Green Bay, um, Ozaki. Yeah. And I think they have another one in, like, Racine. And then Waukesha has its own system. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's an Ozaki one. Nice. Just planning on fostering it originally, but... Uh, it's too cute. I know. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's uh, For the longest time, you guys were like, really like, well, I know Adrian was like, dude, let's get a freaking cat. And you're like, I don't know. Like, yeah. would I be a good enough like cat dad? Like, you know, and like all the normal like vegan kind of things you go through and thinking about getting an obligate carnivore animal. Yeah. But I was like, dude, wait, this is why you'd be the best cat dad is because you actually <laughs> have some forethought and like think about you know the well-being of the animal whereas i feel like a lot of folks are like let's just get let's get a yeah. let's get a komodo dragon you know like that that's my parents they're like oh let's just they adopted a pig once and it did not it went as well as it could have been i feel like pigs are a big problem pet because a lot yeah. of people adopt them like oh how cute it's a tiny pig mm-hmm. and then it keeps growing and it's like a, a ton yes it is a massive land mammal and then it's like everybody after like two months of owning a pig they yep. give it away and then yep. all these um animal sanctuaries are like people have too many pigs like we can't take all of them yeah so. it sucks and that's exactly where bentley the big black potbelly pig is right now he's at a farm station <laughs> yeah. but oh I, I only say that to say like 
glad you finally, you know, pulled the trigger, got, yeah. got a cat, because he's going to be the happiest. She <laughs> is going to be the happiest kitty, most well-taken-care-of cat ever, so. I still have some ethical conflicts about it. Oh, yeah, it. it'll always be there. <laughs> yeah. Every time I order cat food, I'm like, yeah. why am I killing it? you know a bunch Chicken, of chickens yeah. and fish to like be my cat you know oh it's just hard it's like, i don't know it's tough but then i'm like well my species freaking did this to you like you'd be out there in the wild hunting all these animals if you know by yourself and they wouldn't be in a farm situation i don't know it's just so messy yeah <laughs> at the end of the day it's like humans suck and we did this shit to ourselves still yeah, not it's like the best of a really bad situa- situation yeah the, yeah. the domestication of animals sorry i'm going off now oh no like, I, I agree oh in my opinion like the shittiest thing we've done to living things like they were majestic beasts who could fend for themselves better than we could ever but we were like we need you so we're gonna keep you under our rule yeah. and now they're dependent on us and ugh, anyway yeah and like dogs are cute and all that but mm-hmm. especially certain breeds i'm like that shouldn't exist like, no pugs yeah the ones who like can't breathe when they go for a, a slight jog yeah it's like <laughs> or yeah. like their legs are too stubby to walk properly like yep. why why are we doing that yeah it's and then hurt. dogs in general just i feel bad because it's like in some way it's like look at what they used to be and yeah. then look at what they are now and These like majestic we've wolves. diminished them so yes! much like they're just derpy like yeah, dependent derpy. yeah yeah oh yeah no <laughs> they used to be like these pack animals who were like really cool and yeah could tear us apart yeah we're like independent and yeah, yeah. we're threats to us and now yeah. like they're just yeah yeah slaves i know it makes me upset what we do to apex predators but yeah i could spend a whole day on that <laughs> yeah same <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so next time you mm-hmm. can meet the cat Oh, I would love to. I'll be honored. Yeah. I'll bring you some catnip. Have you have you given your cat catnip yet? Okay, so I... I no, we haven't. Oh, um, okay. It's a great time. I, I don't know if this has any founding in, in reality, but I was worried, like... I know that for humans, for, like, marijuana, you probably yeah. shouldn't give, like, a seven-year-old weed. No. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking, like, should you give a three-month-old cat cat? Oh! You know, I have Should no you wait idea. until they're fully developed as a cat to, to get them high? Potentially potentially i yeah i don't know you should definitely google that that, that, was, that was my concern so. yeah yeah developmentally just have like a cat that got high too many times <laughs> and he's like Stoner cat. has a hard time holding a job and like yeah just <laughs> <laughs> you know i love giving cats catnip i, I had oh, um two to three cats as a kid mm-hmm. and that was one of the best things they just yeah. roll around in it oh it's hilarious <laughs> and i just like yeah. i'm making a bug-eyed face for those of you who are listening yeah yeah <laughs> um okay so suburban education last time yeah we had a conversation about urban education yes sir because that was your previous year's job that you had were doing um but this previous year you've Mm -hmm. been working in a more suburban setting yes how's that been going for you you know um as far as so it's doing exactly what i wanted it to do with some surprises so i ended up moving over to um a suburb slash rural community in uh in Waukesha County, and I did moving that job wise, not moving um, locally. Like, no, oh yeah, matter, but... yeah. So I was yeah, originally yeah. in Milwaukee um, for my year long internship. I loved it, but it was extremely demanding for a number of reasons. It's just the neighborhood I was working in was really poverty stricken. Just it, it had once been a really flourishing black community, but as it goes, especially here in Milwaukee. 
often those things don't last because of intervention by white folks or gentrification or, you know, any number of things. You just really saw that play out in the classroom. And it was just difficult day to day, even though the kids were amazing. Families were really cool, but it was just a lot. So I was like, okay, if I want to not get burnt out, burnt out, I like I have to move somewhere yeah. where it'll just not be that intense, and I can just kind of sink my feet into actually teaching rather than like just kind of surviving as a teacher, and then like kind of depending on where I'm at after a year or two, um, maybe I'll move closer to the city or go back. Uh, to yeah. The, okay. And so far, like from I don't know, it's just the more I spend time there. I'm like, oh, I couldn't see myself working in the city proper again for a while, um, but at least moving close, you know, further east. Anyway, but um, yeah, so I'm at that that spot now, which is like, it's not necessarily suburban. Like, I wouldn't call it Tosa, and I wouldn't call it Greenfield or something like that, but it's like suburban rural. Like, oh, I have okay. students who work on farms. Oh. Um, wow. So, like, there is poverty, but it's a, like a different kind of poverty. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, just still culturally very different, very like white Christian, you know, communities. And like, even when I worked, when I, when I worked on the north side of Milwaukee, like very Christian people, um, but just kind of a different flavor. Yeah. But so you still get like those Christian values. It's like Democratic Christian versus Republican Christian. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, but they do agree on a lot of things, though, as far as like abortion and um, stuff like that and but yeah similar in those ways yeah so I'm, I'm trying to think like what are like the biggest differences at you know I think it's resources I think it comes down to resources I think we talked about this last time at least in our state a lot of public school funding fr- comes directly from um I mean from various places but a good chunk of it comes from property property taxes. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a spot, if your school's in a spot where property values are low, I mean you can easily do the math. Like yeah. the funding you're getting is not great. And sometimes that's made up for by the state or what have you, but not always. So in this place where I work, it's obviously a lot more wealthy and we have immense resources. Like it was amazing to me going to a school that had air conditioning and um, I no, have... school didn't have air conditioning? No. Yeah, my no. friend um, who I just saw yesterday who is a teacher, he teaches uh, like intellectually disabled students. Got or, it. Cognitive. Um, yeah, I think he was saying they used to be called cog- cognitive, not oh, intellectually, yeah. but yeah. Oh, gosh. Because there's okay. like... Yeah, don't let like, me uh, say something offensive. Well, yeah, I don't know. There's like emotionally um, disabled students. There's like physically disabled students. Got it. And there's like intellectually disabled students. I Got think it. that's the category. Okay. And he works with the intellectual ones. And he, yeah, he was saying that his school last year, they just renovated it, didn't have air conditioning. And is that a common thing with It schools? is, Wade. Oh my gosh. When I worked in the city, you'd have people just fighting over fans. Like, yeah. it was awful. And then we had, like, almost no windows. Oh, it was just ridiculous. And I'd be like, uh, so how do we expect these kids to, like, sit here and, Right. Concentrate know, when they're, like... Sweating? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, so... Did you have heating for, in, for the winter? We did. Okay. We did have heat, which was nice. So, you know, that that would be like yeah. Russian orphanage style, you know? <laughs> no, yeah. no heat. Oh, my God. But, yeah, no. Um, yeah, but just like little things like that. And then I remember like my first month at my current middle school, just asking for 
things from the library and they'd look at me and be like yes ariel we we have that like yeah yeah, yeah. i was like do i have to buy it and they're like no no you don't you don't have to pay for printer paper ariel i was like i don't know man like that's what they <laughs> like uh and just, so like just the money alone like makes such a difference like the yeah. access um so i can teach the way i need to teach things i don't have to freaking find 20 million ways around this missing piece of technology or this you know so that is a huge difference and i think like more than anything that is huge like do you think your opinion on, on that has changed since getting this job like because i think i asked you last time yeah if giving more money to the to the urban schools mm-hmm. would improve them mm-hmm. i don't exactly remember what your response was but do you yeah has your view on that changed or i wonder i wonder if it was mixed i have no idea i i, I can't speak for every like urban district but just on the internet per student mps makes gets like is it has fifteen thousand dollars per student uh that's tricky because they end up having to shell out money for charter schools so mps although like let's say there are charter schools in their system they essentially have to pay those schools to yeah so that district pays for charter schools so like sure yeah they have fifteen thousand dollars per student but how many of those students are in schools that don't even like pay into the system i don't know so i've I've heard that um criticism from uh conservatives i.e my dad yeah he's like mps makes has tons of money and they just waste it blah 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 yeah sure i've heard from teachers within that system that like the high-end administration is like it just about sorry just about like as capitalist as it gets um and they're just they make insane you know salaries for people that like are really not doing much and that is a thing i just want to clarify my district has that too like you get like a for an example like a principal who does a crap job but but they shelled a bunch of money out to get him a phd they're not gonna fire him they're gonna go make a you know director of of uh health and uh technology you know just some bullshit ass thing so i've heard that criticism of mps but still even that it's just like not it if you just like think about the starting point right like through an equity lens like my students at my current school are starting out higher than this as far as money goes like they're coming in with all the supplies they need they're coming in with a phone that has the technology we need on it my kids at my last school like they're coming in with some of them don't even have a damn winter jacket like so they just need more money to reach the same spot so for me to just say like i don't know or for folks to say something like well you know mps gets the same amount of money as kids in like i don't know like mequon it's not the same like yeah. that do they get the same amount of money like do you know the per money or per student amount of money that the kids in your district right now are getting oh gosh i couldn't tell you that I'd, I'd have to look at it i googled it like like a year ago right. and it was like similar oh, okay but again like you know it's just not they're they're starting from behind the starting line right, right? and my kids are right there so it's just the need is higher yeah um so uh, to come back to your question like does more money help? I think yes, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I think also, I, I really appreciate the movement to like not have such a heavy police presence in schools mm-hmm. because that just lays the groundwork for a good like educational community. Like that, I you know, I, I the school I worked at during my internship, students got arrested and stuff, and like yeah. it, sometimes it happens. Like I had a student who freaking sprayed one of the 
teachers in the eye with like some peppermint essential oil like not <laughs> not a big deal right but I, like I don't do that she was pregnant it's not you don't do that but um yeah. so you know sometimes it's necessary but overall it just like creates this like oh well if they think i'm a criminal i guess i'm a criminal type right. of thing um so i think that you know efforts like that along with more funding would be a lot more sustainable so i don't know if that kind of answers your question but oh, yeah yeah i guess like whatever vision i had of it a year ago it's probably a little more nuanced right. now so yeah do you think there's a difference in how the schools that you've worked at handle like misbehavior yes absolutely at my like wildly underfunded city school that i worked at it was often and this was like my thesis like i think i talked about this last year like often it was just like you're suspended for three days have yeah. a good day i'm gonna enjoy my three days without you hoobity bop <laughs> right. uh, and that was the language around it at my school where i am <sighs> behaviors are not a huge issue just again because poverty comes with a yeah. lot more struggle as far like your kid's behavior, if you're just, like, trying to fucking work, excuse me, trying to work for... You can swear. It's okay, <laughs> great. If you're just trying to, like, get through your two jobs and you're a single mom, like, do you yeah. have time to, like, go home and, like, deal with your kid's behaviors at school? Probably not. Like, my students often have two parent homes, or if not, they're living with, like, two grandparents who care about them and are able, like, not that... But, but they're able to, like, be present for them, right? Yeah. Which is, unfortunately, like, a privilege... Um, and they can, when I email those parents home, I can like, I'll actually get a response, right? Whereas like if I email a parent home in, in my last school, they might, they might not even be able to flip through their email until a week later. So yeah, it's tricky. And I mean, and aside from that, like, yeah, it, f it felt like certain students got targeted at my last school. It really did like, unfortunately, you know, fill in that kind of like black girls often get punished more harshly than their black male peers, than their white female peers Yeah. in what is often called like the push out. And I saw that all the time at my Milwaukee school, not because the administrators didn't care about those kids, but because like they were like super unaware of the biases that they had going on. Interestingly, I see a similar thing happen at my suburban school. But rather than seeing the black female students targeted, because we have so few of them, right. I see the white boys targeted. Mm. And I think that it's kind of a result of like stereotyping on, on our end as teachers. I feel like we often have decided that like our spazzy, excitable, sometimes naughty white boys are um, like the, the only thing they'll respond to is like harsh punishment. Yeah. And often, like, they just, like, there's kind of just dealing with toxic masculinity in, only, in the only ways they know how. Like, at their age, they're kind of, at least eighth grade, like, they're in this weird place where, like, they're coming out of elementary school where they their feelings were validated and they were able to be little sensitive boys, hopefully, right? But then as they enter eighth grade and then approach high school, like, society starts telling them, okay, you can't. You can't be a mushy gushy boy anymore. You need yeah. to be tough, and like they know that. Um, and so often, like I had, oh, I had this wonderful student last year who, like, he just had a tough kind of go all last year. His mom was like 
very distant from him. Um, his dad sounded like a ding dong. This man would bring him to school and like uh, not send him out with his backpack. And then this this little boy, I'm going to call him uh, Carson. He would text his dad and be like, dad, you have my backpack. Can you bring it back? He'd be like, oh, no, you'll be fine without it. I, I was like, what? And this kid was struggling all year. Brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Brilliant. So, but oftentimes, like, administration and other teachers would approach him from, like, a, I already know you're doing something naughty, Carson. Like, yeah. I'm going to preemptively punish you. Oh. Which I know. <laughs> I was like, no. And then they come to me and be like, Miss Vaccaro, like, well, I just outed myself. But Miss Vaccaro, <laughs> Vaccaro, like, why does Carson like you? I'm like, because I don't assume that he's being a dick, you know? Yeah. Like, he's just a child. Like, oh, wow, you have such a good relationship with him. I'm like, well, I'm assuming best intent, you freaking turds. Like, he's had some slip-ups. Like, don't act like he's always going to slip. Anyway, but um, he just needs some sensitivity. I feel like that's kind of like the the behavior struggle that suburban schools seem to have, in my experience, is like assuming crappy intent of like often boys. Um, I don't all. I don't want to like just specify white boys and be like, oh my gosh, the white boys are like just dealing with the worst. Thing. No, um, we have a few black children at our school, and I have seen them be targeted too. Yeah, and it's ugly. But we've had so few of them that oh, it's like maybe one or two. Right. But I'm sure if there were more black children, particularly black boys at our school, they would absolutely get targeted. So just because I know the demographic of my teaching community, and it's probably like ideologically it's very mixed like it's a really diverse group of teachers like politically and otherwise so we're not always on the same page and then anyway but yeah you live in like milwaukee county and i do yes teach at what one or two counties over yep (laughs) Um, do a lot of the other teachers at your school are they the same way or do they most of them live there uh most of them live in the area so a lot of them live either in mcguanago uh waukesha what else i got some in east troy and then a few in milwaukee some in tosa so like mostly the area but mostly like think waukesha county yeah type of thing so okay yeah so, um, that's where i grew up yeah oh yeah i'm sure you know the vibes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so last time you're you're like the, the push out you were talking about you were talking mm-hmm. about how a punishment is often just getting kids out of school, suspensions yes. or expulsions. Yeah. Is that different at your school? Like, is that a frequent go-to punishment? Or no. Is it... Oh, okay. No, and I, that I am really grateful for. I am just really, really happy that it's not so much... Like, I do have some teachers that are like, tough love, this is how the world is, punish them. <laughs> and I'm like, no. And I have other teachers that are like, no. Like, they will back me up when I'm like... Um, I feel like the solution is not to kick them out of my room. Yeah. And I feel like most people are on that page. And that seems to be the tide, the or like the general, you know, movement among like newer age teachers these days is they're like, don't eject the child from the room. Like, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Then you confirm to them like, oh, I'm not wanted here. Right. So um, I better just keep doing what I'm doing. <sighs> what was your question? Wait, refresh my memory. If, um, oh, the push out thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, that yeah. It's been a completely different tone there. Often, at least for me, my first move is like one-on-one conversation or like a a humor-filled redirection. Like if mm. I have a kid, I had a kid last year who would like open random food and like just set it on the think like okay, oh he's such a girl. He'd open like bananas and yeah. then just like lay them on the desk. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? He'd be like, what? I'm like. You put the nasty little banana, you know, like a bunch of kids t- 
touch that tip like oh just, just like unpeeled and the- yes <laughs> he was bizarre and like similar things i've had other kids do naughtier stuff and if you just like tease them like they'll yeah. get back in line and they're like oh you know miss picard doesn't hate me she's just trying to yeah move on like, have you seen that i think it's a vine of um a kid in a class asking his teacher if he can eat some fruit and she's just yeah. like yeah sure and then he pulls from his um backpack a whole watermelon oh my god and he, and he gets out a cutting board <laughs> <laughs> and like a knife <laughs> i would die if someone i mean i'd be like honey you can't take knives to school go go give that to someone but yeah. um i would that'd be absolutely hilarious i wish that would happen to me that's great yeah but... yeah that's true probably shouldn't take a knife to school no no you, you do get in trouble for that that's a suspension <laughs> instantly but yeah so yeah and like i feel like i'm trying to think of like we have we follow this thing called pbis which is like a system of discipline that for the most part assumes positive intent Mm. of children but it's like a structured disciplinary system um and i think it it mostly goes like one redirection and then like get back into the learning zone and then if you get another redirection i'm gonna email your parents or call them whatever um but it's a lot of like hey let's have a conversation and just like have your teacher or your administrator let you know like how this behavior is affecting you and the people around you not so much do this because I told you and yeah. I'm the authoritarian, you know, which I appreciate. I never responded well to adults who were like, I'm the boss because <laughs> I have a bachelor's degree. So shut up. Yeah. And I don't think most students take well to that. So I, I appreciate that and how my school really embraces not assuming our children are little demons. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess to answer your question, yeah, behaviors are – there's fewer of them. And then the ones that do come up, they don't – uh they don't get, result in getting removed from the school. Yes. And I think that that has a long-term positive effect just because you don't like create this complex in students that basically tells them uh, indirectly, like, you are the naughty student everyone is telling you you are. Yeah. You just give up, you know, just fuck it. Yeah. Just keep being naughty. And I feel like that so often happened to really good kids at my la- at my city school. Where in, in the sense where it doesn't happen here. Like Carson, he was naughty up and down, you know, throughout the year. But then at the end of the year, he he got it all together. Like he he knew he had people in the building who cared about him. And he would be, by the end of the year, sorry, Wade, he would be that student where like if you had a room full of like kids being loud. He would keep them in, in line. Yes! He'd be like... <laughs> Miss McCarroll's trying to talk. Everybody shut your mouth. So I was like, yes. Oh, yeah. When you yeah. got the kids on your side. Yes. So <laughs> it's just like that like love and compassion pays itself back yeah. many fold. So, yeah. Long-winded answer to a simple question. But. Yeah. It's a, it's a similar question. Um, but something I've been thinking about the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's an age, and it might be the eighth grade time mm-hmm. around that period, where like teachers or just i guess schools in general maybe society in general yeah goes from one view to another of like why kids are misbehaving yeah. and i feel like it starts off as like understanding like oh they have maybe a bad home life their, their parents are getting divorced or whatever sure. they're getting bullied. Yeah, yeah. so it's like compassion like these problems aren't their own fault yeah and then it switches somewhere to like this is their own fault and i'm going to treat them as if like yeah they're the cause of their own problems yeah yeah so then it, it goes from like understanding to just like straight up punishment yeah it's like by this age if you're acting out like yeah it's all on you now yeah oh and i hate that phrase by this age i'm like i was a ding dong until i was 25 (laughs) dude you know i don't know so yeah absolutely and i've seen that kind of in some of the older teachers for sure 
And some of them were like traditionalists. Yeah. Where they're like, yeah, by by eighth grade, you need to know how to do this. And if you don't, like, you're going to face the consequences. Yeah. When it could just be like a, hey, man, you're acting like a sixth grader. Like, this is what eighth grader acts like. Can right. you not? And they'll be like, oh, shit, I'm embarrassed. Okay, yeah, sure. Like, you're right, you're right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. No, that is, you're you are not wrong. That was the thing. I was watching this um, TED Talk from my child psychology class. Nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was a very good TED talk because mm-hmm. the guy didn't actually provide any data, but it was still it was still an interesting um, tale, I guess. But he was just talking about how, um, like, rather than viewing kids as like troublemakers or, or mm-hmm. whatnot, you have to view them instead as like having some sort of need that isn't being met, mm-hmm. and like the best way to correct children's behavior is like the teacher to student relationship. Yeah. Rather than expecting that their their parents to solve the problem. Absolutely. Um, yeah, do you, like, is that something that a lot of your teachers do or agree with? I, I would say so. I think there are those few who are like, don't let your kid be my problem. Right. Which I absolutely get. Like, if your kid's a turd and I've had to reach out to you several times and you're doing literally nothing to support me, that's a problem. But I really do, like, like I, it is my job when your child is in my yeah. building to make sure they're doing what they got to do. Like, you're at work. Yeah. I'm not going to call you and be like... Well, okay, so your kid, like, threw a paintball at me. I didn't really talk to him about it because it's your problem. So, like, deal with it. That's yeah. bad teaching. So, yeah, and I like how you said, I don't know, who who was that? Do you know who that was? Don't remember the guy's name. Okay. So. It was a British guy. It was British. Okay, never mind. But, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, there is usually some need not being met or, like, they're just having a crappy day, stuff like that. So, yeah, I like that philosophy. You should forward that to me. Yeah. So, and yeah. I, I do want to specify, um, I feel like sometimes like newer age teachers or like educators who are like, they're just having a hard time, blah, blah, blah. Just be nice to them. It'll all be fine. Yeah. That is not the case. That is not always the case. Sometimes you have someone who just wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. I had one of those last year. <laughs> <laughs> he was my one situation. And like. Did you know that he wasn't having any, like, home problems or anything? Oh, because I talked to his parents. I, I yeah. talked to his mom every Friday. Every Friday. His mom knew he was a turd. She'd be like, oh, Miss Vicaro, you just shoot me an email every week. And we'll Ugh. Oh, my God. He she was knew she had an asshole child. Yeah. And, like, and I don't even want to say an asshole, but he was just like, right. all the world, all this classroom is a stage, and uh. I am the actor. <laughs> and he would make jokes at my expense. He would, like, touch my technology. So last year, just as a funny story, he, um, I sat him in the front of the room because I thought for some reason, you know, sit the naughty kid in front of me. That'll be a good idea. No, (laughs) this boy. So, um, I had a Google stream going up for the kids who were out on COVID leave. He logged into it on his laptop (laughs) while I'm, you know, putting, you know, I have the stream going on my own computer up front. And then while I'm dealing, while I'm working with the kids separately on some writing project, he walks up, by the way, I'm recording this the whole time. I had it all on camera because I had to record my lessons. Yeah. He goes up, cranks up the volume on my smart board, and then this massive feedback loop starts. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, what the heck? And I go up there and I turn it down. I was like, what the heck? So yeah, just like kids like that, like who are just making a scene for no reason. Yeah. Like, Did you not know it was him until you looked at the footage Ooh, i had a beautiful child who came up to me later and was like miss vaccaro oh. just so you know steve you know he just turned out he didn't he made that happen i was like oh thank you i appreciate you but yeah so he told me what was happening and then lo and behold i go back and look at the recording i was like ha got you nerd 
um, emailed his mom. <laughs> and from there forward, we were like, yeah, we're going to we're going to talk every Friday. So and he was still a turd. Like, yeah. you, you know, my boyfriend, Bill, I worked with him at our school last year. And as I, we were walking inside from like a little brain break once, uh, this child had like this like ball that him and his friends just tossed back and forth like during breaks. And I was letting my students inside and he had like hidden within Bill's group of students. And he took this ball from inside the crowd and lobbed it into the foyer. And it dang near hit Bill right in the forehead. <laughs> it, it felt like it was going fast. He plays baseball, dude. Like you yeah. just don't, don't be doing that. And Bill's just like, what the heck? Who did that? Like snapped off on this kid. He didn't snap off, but he was like, dude, are you crazy? Like you could have took an eye out. I don't know. Like just as an example, like he's, he was a turd. <laughs> so yeah, you just mentioned something. You said brain break. What is, oh yeah. What's a brain break? Is that um, um like a break from your brain or for your brain? Or is uh-huh. it like a, a break where you use your brain? Oh, you uh, for me, it's where you don't use, don't use your you, brain. Yeah. You yeah. take an actual break. Um, oh, okay. If someone uses that term to make kids do more work, they can go to hell. Oh, it's for your <laughs> students? It's not for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's for all of us. So gotcha. I, my school, along with a growing number of schools, uses a block schedule. Do you know what that is by chance? Yeah. Yeah, longer periods, basically. Yeah, that's what um, I had in my last, like, maybe two years of high school, I think. We, you, we were yeah. constantly changing, like, the schedule for the four years I was there. But, oh, my God. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Did you like black? Uh, uh, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was like we didn't have all of the classes each day. Mm-hmm. It was like half the classes one day, then switching yep. alternate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I liked it because at that time they switched to this new thing where like the first like 30 minutes or hour of the school day yeah. was like a study period that uh-huh. you act, for some reason only um, freshmen and sophomores had to go to. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't have to go to school for like an extra 30 minutes in the morning. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, so you're doing block yeah um and our periods are like 90 minutes yeah which if you're 13 or 14 is an eternity <laughs> so we break it up like 40, 45 minutes and we go outside and get some air and stuff so oh okay. even in the dead of winter they're like miss vicaro let's go outside i'm like okay how long does those last like 10 minutes uh, like 10 minutes yeah. yeah yeah a lot of my um college classes when i actually had those in person would do that because it's like mm-hmm. a three-hour physics class or something <gasps> so my teacher would stop halfway through and just have a 15 minute break <sighs> Physics for three hours. Yeah. Jeez. I like I like science, but I hate science classrooms. Yeah. Like they're just so cold and, and like dry and yeah. And not usually the most comfortable or homey of, of classrooms. Yeah. You'd think, so. right? Like if we gotta be here for three hours, it should be a welcoming place. So okay, brain breaks. Also, um I wanted to ask you you yeah. were talking before about the principals who are like getting overpaid for not doing much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you said you see that in more places. That's the same with your current school district? Um, our administrators are actually pretty good. Um, they bust their tushies, honestly. And I'm finding that, like, the weird eccentric principles aren't everywhere. Mm. They're just in unusually high concentration in the places where I've worked. Bill has kind of an eccentric, uh, weird principle this year, but mine is very, like, straightforward and... You guys work at different schools? We do, yeah. So Bill was on a one-year contract Oh, okay. because of COVID. Like, he was filling in for a teacher that was teaching virtually. So now he's at a school up north. Not up up north, but oh, okay. like 40 minutes away. Oh. So. <laughs> how far, how long does it take you to drive to your school? Uh, on a good day, like, I can swing it in like 30 minutes. Oh, okay. 
and then on a bad day, like 40. And then if I leave school at like 5 p.m., I'm not getting back for like an hour. Oh. That makes me so sad. But it's uh, just because I'm coaching right now, I don't leave until like 4, 45, 5. What are you coaching? But, uh, cross country. Oh. Yeah. Are you running then with the students? I've wanted to, but my other coaches are like, we need you to time stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I have to like hang back often. But oh. yeah, when, when they're doing like relays or strides, I'll run with them because yeah. I need the exercise. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> One thing my teacher friend um, that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. I didn't know this existed. He was telling me about um, teacher coaches. Do you, yes. have, do you have a coach? I do. What do they do? That is some new age stuff. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah. They are experienced teachers that they do like some extra schooling. Like they usually have a master's degree with like some fancy certificate. And they basically get hired at school districts, again, well, like wealthier school districts, to help teachers basically stay like on the up and up as far as like research goes and mm. um, pedagogy. And they'll like observe you, but they're at least my instructional coach is awesome. She's super duper sweet. I knew her. I met her. She was the first person I ever met at the school district and she's like an angel. She's vegan and she is just like this super sweet Southern mom. Like, oh, I just love her. And she would, she'd make, let's just, she'd just like bring me like vegan treats all the time. That's nice. So like, I have a really good instructional coach. And she, like, every time she'd observe me, it was never like, you're doing this wrong. It was like, hey, did you think about trying this? Like, I like how you did that. But if you tried it this way, maybe you'd get better engagement or, like, whatever. And it was just, like, super casual. And she always assured me, like, anything, like, uh, any feedback I give you or any questions you ask me, like, literally anything that happens in here, I am not reporting to administration. This is Mm. purely for you to become the kind of teacher that you want to be. And if I give you feedback you don't want to use, you do not have to use it. Like, she's just super there for me as a teacher. I feel like she's my teacher therapist. So, yeah, that's, yeah. But I've heard of other people having crappy instructional coaches that, like, basically tell them this is how we do it and you need to shut up. And they've been there for, like, five years as compared to, like, some of our veteran teachers who are there for, like, 20. Yeah. So, yeah. And I have seen, so I'm a fresh, I'm fresh in the game, but I have seen veteran teachers who have the same instructional coach as I have I do like really take her feedback negatively oh simply because they feel insulted oh, truly they're, they're like used to the teacher no coach? no not at all they're used to being observed yeah but she's very like detailed she like take it point by point and like everything you did like she's got it written right. down so yeah, but you're getting it, critiqued on something you've been doing for like 10 years. Yes. It feels bad. So, yeah, exactly. So you have to, I mean, I think in any field or even just in life to be like a decent human to be around, you need to be open to critique. Yeah. I'm sure you've been around people who are like, you just give them a normal piece of feedback. Like, hey, you're doing this thing. It's affecting me in this way. Could, could you consider doing it a different way? Also, I still love you. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> fuck you, dude. You better take me as I am. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. And, and like, you only ever give someone feedback because you care about them and you want to continue right. having a healthy relationship with them. Anyway, but yeah. So instructional coaches, yes, we do have them. I think they're great for the most part, depending on which one you got, but not every teacher thinks that. Yeah. Is that the only person who observes your classrooms or are there others? No. So 
I get pretty frequent observations, but they're like low stakes. I get like one high stakes observation a year where my principal comes in and observes mm-hmm. me for an hour. That's just like what has to happen per the state. Yeah. Do you feel nervous during those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> do, you, do you look like looking back on those? Do you think it changes your teaching for that day? Like, do you act? Differently? Oh, they always do. Yeah, yeah they always do. So <laughs> our depending on the person, at least like I have this one administrator that comes in and he's just chilling. Like he in no way wants to like critique you from like a, I know more than you standpoint because he doesn't. A lot of our administrators do not necessarily come from the same discipline as we do. Mm. Like we have administrators who taught math or social studies. And they, for the most part, know like, I don't know your discipline. I don't know how to teach it. All I can say is like, these are things that used to work for me as a teacher. So here they are. And I have one one or two administrators that are like that. Like when they come in, they're like, ooh, cool. Like I, I... I never taught in an English classroom, so this is what it's like, you know. Here's maybe some tools to help you get the quiet kids to talk and stuff like that. But then I also have administrators that come in and they're like, you didn't read the I can statement three times. Um, What's the I can statement? Oh, God. Okay, so like when we talk about like education, having trends that go along with it, like pedagogy, that's one of them. So there is this movement among educators and academics in education where they feel like there are certain things that need to be stated explicitly to students like right from the get-go and throughout and the i can statement is one of them it's basically letting a kid know like this is what the hell you're here for like we're not just dicking around for an hour (laughs) like this is what i want you to know how to do yeah at least in all the schools where i've worked at they want you to have that statement posted on a board somewhere and then have it read out but I've also gotten plenty of feedback in college and outside of it saying, like, you need to say it at least two times. Per class period? Per class period. Yes. And have it written on, like, two different places. And I've <laughs> I've had administrators, yeah, coaches and stuff telling me, like, you know, Ariel, you, you only read the I can't statement once at the top <laughs> of the hour. I, I really think it would be helpful if you read it again at the end of the hour and said, like, hey, guys, do you think you can do this? Yeah. To me, from like a, a student's perspective, that sounds like something I would hate. Yes. And I, I'll be honest, Wade, like when there are no people except oh. me and my students in my room. You just don't say it. <laughs> well, sometimes I don't. Or I go, okay, guys, I'm contractually obligated to tell you this. I can blah, 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 blah. So, and they're like, Wait, yes, thank you. Okay. This I can statement changes with each class because that's like the thing you're trying to learn. That yeah. Day. So, for example, um, I taught a lesson on like perspective, characters having differing perspectives yeah that is a lesson that i have to teach to meet a certain common core state standard so i essentially write my i can statement very close to the verbiage of that standard Mm. and that's one way for us to cover our asses in the event someone wants to know like are we teaching through the standards like yes it's an i can statement (laughs) so um i think that's a big part of it why it's so heavily mandated because the standards are just like the Bible by which we all live yeah. by. And like, they're not bad. Like, they're pretty helpful. But I'm just like, dude, these kids, sometimes they're wor- these I can't statements are worded with language that like, if I were an eighth grader, I'd be like, this means literally nothing to right. me. This is fucking Chinese. Like, I have no. Yeah. So. Is that because just like buzzwords or something or like. Kind of. Yeah. Pedagogical. Kind of but thing? Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to think of some. 
we use words that are like very discipline specific. I'm trying to I think. can circle back and synergize. It's kind of like as much. Thank you. Like, yes, <laughs> it feels like that sometimes. Like before we've even told them what analyze means that we'll be like, I know how to analyze oh, okay. a character's uh, ego in the plot. Like, no, yeah. like it's they don't fucking know what that means. So sometimes I think I'm just saying it for my health. And that's why I say that like contractual obligation thing. But yeah, that's when it comes like I just I find it so unhelpful when people come into my room and they're like, Blah blah blah. The I can statement. I'm like, thank you. Yes, yeah. I'll say the I can statement. Do you have anything else that might be helpful? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually helping them retain this information. So, uh, when that's the only feedback I get, I'm a little peeved. But yeah. for the most part, observations are helpful. Yeah. So, and um, my observers have been notoriously chill. That's good. Yeah. Do you still say the Pledge of Allegiance in your classrooms? <sighs> Wade, yes. And last year, I spent the whole year just protesting it, being like, I am not doing your culty shit. Yeah. Saying praise be to the fucking flag. Protesting it how? Like, just not, not doing standing it? for it. Okay. But Wait, were you like going to anybody, like the principal or anything, like saying like we shouldn't do No, the, no, the, sorry. It was a very like silent protest. Right, okay. I was just I, in my room ignoring it. Oh, and this woman who, she was a wonderful teacher, but she was really murka. She would like be walking through the hallway and I had a flag literally Checking right. Everybody is just... No, pretty much. Let me tell you. Okay. So I had a flag like right behind me and I'd be sitting there typing away as, you know, blah, and they're saying it. Um, yeah. And she would be walking through the hallway and she'd, she'd be like running around looking for someone to say somewhere, some flag to fucking worship. Yeah. And she would come to my room and be like, oh my gosh, I couldn't find a spot. And she'd sit there and say it. And I'd be like, oh my God, you're going to literally make me watch you do this yeah. while I sit and work. Like <laughs> During that time, do you have kids in your classroom? During I didn't last year. Oh, okay. I do now. Oh. I do now. So my uh, short stint of protesting has stopped. Because I, like, I, I know Bill doesn't. Bill's braver than I am. <laughs> I know I have some really Christian, really murka kids in my classes. So I'm like, okay. And I stand up and I stare at it. And I'm like, praise be to the colonial fuckery. The yeah. end. And then I sit down. But um, <laughs> You should so. do a lesson about how that was only adopted in the 1950s. Really? Yeah. Oh, to, I didn't to know that. communism and really? irreligion. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's juicy. I like that. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I don't know how that fits into an English class. But yeah, yeah. I don't know, well, somehow. Yeah. My, my dream is to teach a lesson on 9-11 and how it basically happened to us because of a bunch of shit our government did. Yeah. You know, like killing people in the Middle East for oil. And Did you know that Osama bin Laden wrote like a whole ass letter describing his motivations for doing the whole thing? No, I don't know. He did. And like... They're they're like pretty legit. I'm like, oh yeah, I'd be really pissed at us too. Like, right. it's 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 like when you read um Ted Kaczynski's manifesto. I was like, I mean, this is pretty solid piece of work. Right here. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, damn, <laughs> he don't even speak English. <laughs> like, yeah, no, honestly, like maybe you really... shouldn't, you know, be bombing, mailing people bombs. But no, exactly. Yeah, the, the violence with violence. Are, oh like, yeah, very valid. You know, yeah. justified. I actually wrote like a whole lesson plan on that in grad school. And my teacher gave me an A plus on it, but he was like, I, uh, yeah, he was like, I don't know where you're going to be able to teach this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Maybe this is a bit of a side, side track, but one thing that I'm always astounded by is how, um, so many, especially more conservative people these days are so concerned with like ideology seeping into the classroom when it seems like it's already totally there. It is. It's just the ideology that they happen to agree with. But yes, exactly. Like they're so worried about 
teachers teaching about like Marx. Yep. And it's like we're already teaching like government propaganda like every single day. Yes. But your flavor of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, are you aware of the legislation that's being that's moving through the state? Uh, I don't know. The state government. Okay. Um, what is it? It's uh, do you are you familiar with critical race theory? Of course yeah. you are, because you had a man <laughs> blather at you for two hours about how it's not a real thing. <laughs> oh my god, or it doesn't make sense. Uh, if you're listening, sir, I have vegan beef. Um so there is <laughs> There are two bills moving through the state legislature right now, which is predominantly Republican, unfortunately. God bless Tommy, you know, Governor Eversoll, poor guy. Uh, that essentially aims to make the teaching of what what conservatives just call CRT, but right. they have no idea what it means. They basically just call anything that even smells of something that makes them uncomfortable relating to race, right. CRT. And I read some of the... The actual bills, and it's essentially like uh, teachers may not teach anything that blames students for oppression by way of race or gender. Uh, if they do, their schools can be fined up to $10,000. What else? Do you think that's something that would actually even get, like, if a teacher wanted to teach critical race theory, would that <laughs> even be a thing? Like, blaming students because they're they're white boys that they're responsible for is that actually a part of it or is no, that just something made up no, in the minds of Republicans? That's, that's like the white fragility part right. of it yeah. like what when i for some reason well i get it because i'm a white person who came from the suburbs but when you tell someone like hey we as white people uphold systemic oppression right they go i didn't do that yeah. i wasn't a slave owner and i'm yeah. like yeah yeah no one no one said that honey and we're also not saying you're explicitly a racist like yeah but people they receive it that way. Yeah. Like, again, we literally just talked about people who can't take critique well. Like, that's those people. Yeah. And they're so afraid of being uncomfortable yeah. and determined to continue living their lives the way they are. I mean, not to make this comparison, but, like, when I meet someone who is, like, completely aware of how or, – or, like – it wants to stay unaware of how our food system works with regard to animals. Like right. I get the same response. They're like, that's not my fault. Like I didn't do it. I'm like, I'm not saying you are right. I'm saying your money is being used to do it. Yeah. I'm not saying you're a bad person, but like, it's really similar with regard to racism and sexism. If you tell certain folks like, Hey, you are feeding into this. You're making sure sexism and racism are still flourishing. They take it really personally. So, um, yeah. yeah, there's a real movement among conservatives to label anything like that CRT. Yeah. And that's like just not like at, at its core, CRT is like a sociological study. Like, right. I'm not about to break a CRT textbook out in my classes. Yeah. So like, and this is the difference. Like if I would be able to tell if these folks knew what CRT was if it was clear in the bill and i'm and right. how i mean that is like the bill language is so vague yeah it just reads like a manifesto of white fragility it yeah. in no way reflects the actual academic you know language right. of crt so and the trouble with a vague bill is that like you can try to fit lots of things into yes. that and like I accuse people of things just because like somehow it fits into like the you know vague meanings that we were absolutely talking about in the bill and i tend to think that that's intentional right yeah i don't know and it's just like so 1984 i feel like 
because these are the people who want to ban books. Like right. that's even a, ta- a been a part of my school is like parents calling to say like I don't want this book in my in your guys's library because it mentions sex once or right. it talks about racism or something yeah. like that's a real thing and it's it's absolutely insane it yeah yeah i've i don't know never understood that whole like anti-intellectual kind of approach of like wanting to bar information from people Mm -hmm. and like one thing that i don't quite get it seems like um the conservatives who don't want critical race theory or critical theory in general to be taught in schools it seems like they don't understand or maybe they do and they just don't care the difference between like teaching about a thing and teaching yes. that a thing is like indoctrinating someone, right, right. yeah, telling like yeah, trying trying to get kids to believe this versus trying to get kids to acknowledge that this is a, th- a thing, yeah, yeah. Just because you're teaching about like critical race theory doesn't mean you're teaching that everything in the world runs around race. Yes, like it, just like how in a sociology class you'd have like you teach all the different things you teach functionalism you teach structuralism it doesn't mean you're teaching that like one of these is the only theory that accounts for why the world works as yeah. it does we're not teachers are not priests yeah um, you're not saying like everything you you do needs you need to incorporate this into like your your soul yes like you need to live by this yeah. absolutely not no that's that's a religious leader's job right yeah that's a really good distinction but these people don't that yeah like they don't acknowledge that yeah. they think if even the words come out of my mouth as a teacher, like, hey, this is a theory that some people, right? They're like, oh, you're you're trying to indoctrinate my child. I'm like, no, I'm literally just trying to show them right. what's going on. Yeah, if you if you even like, so teach, they can make their own decision. Yeah, if you teach about Marx or about communism, yeah. it doesn't mean you're trying to be, make your kids communists. Yes, exactly. And the inconsistency among folks like that is so clear because if I were to teach just like a whitewashed version of, let's say. The American Revolution, they'd be they'd be thrilled with that. Yeah. If I were to teach 9-11 as a completely we are the victim event, which is currently the the, the, yeah. the current status quo, they would be a hundred percent fine with that. Yeah. So yeah, it just has so little to do with like principle and more so to do with confirmation bias that they want right. things they want their kids to learn what they want to learn and then hide them from everything else. And not even just po- politically, but like they don't want their kids to have a sexual awakening at all until they're like 18 and it's yeah. too late and they've already gotten someone pregnant or they don't want them to have any idea about substances, things right. like that. And that that has been an issue among like rural districts in Wisconsin. You can't um, teach them about birth control because then just knowing about it is going to make them have sex. Sometime. Exactly. Like- and and that's such, such a pity because to me that reads as like, oh, you have very low expectations of your child. Right. If you feel like you've done your job well, you should be able to take them, to, to expose them to whatever the world has yeah. and trust that they are going to make a healthy decision for themselves. Right. If they don't, darn, you fucked up. <laughs> um, and, and wow, you have very little, you know, faith in your child and, right. and your teaching, you know, as a parent. Yeah, it's it's a whole mess. It, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I, oh, my, uh, our school librarian just said the most wise thing not long ago. Because we were just kind of talking about this, like banning books. Like this sounds very like Fahrenheit 451, you yeah. know. Um, and she was like, yeah, it's just such a pity because books are the safest place to experience some of these things. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Because 
I think back to my very Christian Catholic upbringing and I was not allowed to have a boyfriend until I was 18 and I was not uh, allowed to drink, try anything. I didn't have the space to. I was punished harshly for showing even interest in it. And then I got to college and I went fucking hard and I dang near dropped myself out of high school because I was partying so hard and having no idea, you know, how to handle romantic relationships. I was getting myself into really sticky, like social, sexual, you know, situations and not knowing how to advocate for myself because I had not, you know, seen any of this even play out in books or movies or anything, you know? So... I could really empathize with that. Like, yeah, it is. Books are absolutely the safest place. You can experience yeah. some of the crazy stuff in the world. So, yeah, wise lady. <laughs> yeah, I just don't get it. Because, like, ideally, like, look, I would be, I would advocate for a education that is, like, completely free from any specific ideology by teaching all ideologies. Yeah. Or, like, by teaching all perspectives. Absolutely. And it seems like a lot of people are just want to stick to one perspective. Yeah. And, uh. And that's how you make a, a ding dong. Uh, yeah. And I feel like generally one of two things happens from that. Either the kids are ignorant for their whole lives and just, you know, that's, I guess, what you wanted. Or they <laughs> rebel against that after they realize that they've been, their parents have been trying to indoctrinate them for 18 years. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's even like a good outcome, right? Sometimes yeah. you get a kid who is ignorant and like, yeah, sure, maybe they do nothing and they stay in their bubble and they don't hurt anyone. But sometimes you make a domestic terrorist <laughs> yeah. or a man who is terrible to his wife for like yeah. uh, someone who's afraid to literally take a vacation to Mexico because there's brown people there. Like, and I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. my dad is like that. He's like, I don't want to leave. California's a dump. I, don't, I would never leave. America's the best country. Whatever. Yeah. Like, you get these horribly close-minded people that just experience like 0.01% of what the world has to offer. Yeah. Living um, in reality distortion bubbles. Ex- absolutely. Yeah. And like, again, that is the, the best case scenario. Yeah. Those people are fucking dangerous, dude. They're, ugh, yeah. So, and it's, it just makes me so sad. Like, I know I had a few students last year who just left still wearing their Trump oh, yeah. socks and socks. Ten, all <laughs> lives matter. You should see what some of the, oh my God. We, uh, there's apparently like a brand of clothing called grunt which is and it sounds as dumb as it as it is it's a brand like made by like what i can only you know guess are very conservative veterans their sweaters feature like actual guns on them yeah and apparently it's been a thing in school districts around the area lately that kids have been wearing these to school and obviously being sent home, like you can't wear a fucking gun shirt to school, right? <laughs> You'd think, but then these parents took their parents. The, at least there was one situation where a parent took the school to court, and they damn near won, except for a loophole. So their kids spent like two days at school and then went virtual, like for the rest of the year. Oh, okay. And the court said, like, oh yeah, you might have a valid argument if your kid actually went to school. <laughs> like for most of the year so yeah. they just tossed it out but that like scared the hell out of a lot of school districts around the area so i forget where i was going with that but no that's all right yeah one thing you mentioned earlier that i want to ask about mm-hmm. you said seating uh seating a child in the front row of your class um didn't wasn't a, didn't end up being a good idea yes <laughs> do you have like a strategy for placement of like where people are going to sit like mm-hmm. do you put like certain types of kids in the front or the back or whatnot or like yeah Good Try question. to separate kids from each other or something. Oh, yeah. All of it. <laughs> um, so I'll start with students 
who, uh, well, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I just throw them wherever. And yeah. I say, okay, I'm going to figure out who the nerds are. And Do you use, like, it. alphabetical order at first? Yes. Or yeah. And and then I find out who's friends with who and who's chatty and who's not and who's quiet and who I might need to, like, bring closer to me so I can get them to talk and stuff like that. I'm currently in that phase right now. But throughout the year, I'm kind of using a few different factors to figure out what where I'm going to see people. Um, I have some students that have 504 plans that... 504 plans are like uh, plans for students who maybe have ADD or... Um, Is there a reason why it's called 504? I have no idea. I think that's like the law that it's attached oh, okay, to. Okay. It's a plan that we as teachers are bound by the law to follow. If we don't, we so can what get do you, sued. What but do you have to do with them? There's usually just like a list of accommodations. So like little Timmy should get seating in the front row and he should be allowed to take breaks to go get food or like okay. to get some water, stuff like that. It's usually like really easy stuff you're already doing for all your kids. Yeah. But I just try to peek through those and make sure like I don't have any students that need to be in the front or in the back or near the door or whatever. So I start there and then... So the, would that mean that any certain classroom can't have more than like six ADD kids because you can't put them all in the front if they're all ADD? Yes. So we do distribute yeah. students with specific needs throughout different classes unless you're so last year i had a class full of students with ieps so individualized education plans kids that might be dealing with like anxiety depression emotional behavioral disorders things like that and among like cognitive struggles of whatever might be just a tougher add stuff and that's ieps those are intense those are like one step higher than like 504s and then I had a bunch of students with 504s too, and I got an instructional coach. When they give you an instructional coach, you better strap in because that means you got a lot of kids that are high need. Is that coach in the classrooms or what do you... Oh, not instructional coach. Instructional assistant. Oh, okay. So that's like a professional kind of, yes. okay. So if you have one of those in your class, you probably got a lot of high need kids. So that that was a struggle last year trying to find seating for them because like everybody needed. Yeah. I had maybe like 10 students out of 30 who are like fine wherever I put them. You've got to put all the kids in the middle in like a circle and then you just walk around them. That's, you know, I thought of that. And one teacher actually pulled it off this year. She has a big old room. She has my old room, dude. She basically set all her tables up in a circle. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it happen. Oh, no, she would sit in the middle, I guess, not around them. That would, oh, that would yeah. make more sense. Yeah. Then you get every, every kid in the front row. Yep. Love it. Love it. <laughs> mitigate those chatting issues but yeah yeah. so those kids are my priority then i'm gonna put the kids who are chatty or naughty um in the four corners of the room to keep them from feeding off each other sometimes they'll still scream at each other from across the room but (laughs) that i can usually like redirect pretty easily that's pretty much it and i just keep them moving all the time my seating charts i told them at the top of the year i was like Ms. Vaccaro reserves the right to change your seating whenever she wants. How often <laughs> like, do you think you do it? Um, sometimes I'll move just like one kid. Like, you're giving me a problem. Move oh, over okay. there. But typically it's like every month. Oh, okay. So, and it's easy. Like, I just, by the time you know them, you're just like, boop, 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 boop. And then. You do you think them. that's um, bad anyway, though? Because, um, like, maybe kids are forming, like good relationships yeah. with who they sit next to i yeah i think you could absolutely make that argument i think if i move them like any more frequently that would definitely be an issue but but and, and that was my my worry at the top of last year so i ended up keeping kids in the same seats for like one whole quarter 
but usually but the feedback i would get from them is like oh i'm so sick of this seat like can can we move blah 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 like so, so it becomes like a they just want to like keep themselves awake by moving around and getting to know yeah. new people and then they only know like a f- the, a well yeah like three people three people yeah and th- those are the only people they feel comfortable having discussions about books with oh yeah but by the end of the year especially with my classroom with a lot of high need kids like i was moving them around a lot and they were all friends by the end i was like dude this is great like a whole class yeah that most yeah, of them cool. of course like i had some shitheads but like most of them were like really comfortable with each other i was like dude okay i'm fine with this like and the classroom discussion was so lively by the end because all the shy kids already knew all the other kids and like I don't know. It just was was pretty good. They tend at at that age to like divide by gender lines, mm-hmm. but there's even some like, you know, by the end of the year they're not little kids anymore and they're okay with boys and girls and whatever. So, yeah. how much class period is like group activities where the kids are just like talking with themselves? Oh gosh, kind of a lot. Like, I think I talked about workshop method a little bit with yeah. you last year, and we still do that. And that's a lot of like putting the ball in the kids' court, like. Hey, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to give you all the tools, like work through it with these people. So a lot, I would say when it comes to like actual instructional time, I would say it's probably like 50%, like if not more sometimes, which works out well because they just don't want to listen to me blab for like a lot of class and I don't want to. Yeah. And then that gives me time to like stop in with them individually. So yeah, to answer your question, upwards of like 50% or more. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever run any, um, or have you ever run any classroom experiments? Ooh, what do you mean? Well, I feel like there's a famous one. You'd have to do something different probably for eighth graders, but it was for like third graders and it was mm-hmm. done in like the 80s or 70s or yeah. something. And it was this teacher who was teaching their kids a lesson about like racial prejudice by arbitrarily just deciding like a physical trait that the kids had she chose eye color wow. and then giving students preferential preferential treatment based off of that so she mm-hmm. was like all the blue-eyed kids she mm-hmm. listened to what they had to say the green-eyed kids or brown-eyed kids or whoever else she she like ignored their hand raises and like didn't didn't let them do anything and wow. like she like let the blue-eyed kids go out to recess like five minutes early or something like that yeah and then she did that for a whole day mm-hmm. the next day she switched it to all like the brown-eyed kids now we're like the the prime race wow and then the oppressed group would be feeling like really bad yeah. about themselves. And then she was like, well, this, this is like a allegory for, you know, yeah. other, other types of treatment in the world. Mm-hmm. So, and it was like an experiment, I guess, to see how the, the kids would behave and react against that. And then she brought them in like 20 years later. And, wow. But, yeah. What, what's the name of that lady? I don't remember. She's like a short lady with gray hair. Right? Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. There's like a documentary about yeah. it or something like that. A lot that. of people don't like her, but she's awesome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's great. I know, I, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. No, I haven't. I've heard of people at other schools having that experience. I remember Josh once telling me that at his Catholic high school, they did that. <laughs> Oh, like the same kind of yes! thing? Yes! Oh, wow. <laughs> they like spent a day. I was like, that seems really questionable. <laughs> but apparently they had the blessing of the parents. But yeah. yeah, they like had random students be like the lesser thans. Yeah. And the lesser thans got really pissed off. Yeah. And like damn near rebelled. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, yeah, if I could get the, the parents' blessing to do that, I would. But oh, yeah. yeah, I could probably get myself in big trouble. But that sounds, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty um, cool <laughs> one one thing i wanted to ask you about that you uh 
kind of mentioned earlier is like wanting to maybe after a year or two go back to yeah a more urban setting mm-hmm. is there any like systems in place at the schools to like retain teachers at like that specific school for long periods of time Yes, there's several. So I know, I know MPS will, if you're there for like 20 years, they will pay off your student debt. But is that only if you're in the same school or just school districts? Just the school district. Yeah. You got to stay in that district. Yeah. Yeah. So districts will do all sorts of stuff to keep people if they're a good district. But are there any incentives for like staying at one school over, even if it's the same district? No, not really. I don't think so. But yeah, districts as a whole will yeah will do stuff for sure. Okay. So compared to your previous school, do you think you have any more or less control over the curriculum and what you teach? I would. Mm, good question. I think when I was interning, I had a really chill student a co-op or cooperating teacher who let me basically do whatever as long as I was like, you know, meeting the standards and like keeping kids engaged was her her big thing, which I really appreciated. So I had a lot of autonomy, I think more so than I do now. But the caveat with that is that creating all your own curriculum is really hard because you don't know, like, especially as a newer person like me, you don't know if it's like actually working because I mean, now, by now I know because I know how to like assess students. But my first year, I would have just been shooting in the dark, man. Like just being like, well, hope the test scores turn out good (laughs) and they don't fire me, you know? Yeah, so that one's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, having autonomy over your curriculum is awesome to a degree. Yeah. And I feel like I have that. Like, I know, I basically know the end goal for every day, but it's up to me how I want to do that. They have, we already have lessons for like every day of the year. Yeah, you're doing a bunch of lesson planning like last month. Yes, yeah. Was that for the whole year that you were doing that or? uh, For like several months. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So we are all planned out now. And I can use those lessons, and I'm probably going to, but if I really wanted to, and there are teachers who do this, they make their own lessons for just about everything. I, wow. I like having a life, so <laughs> yeah. I just take what I got and put my spice on it, and that's pretty much it. So This makes me think of, I feel like there's probably a lot of parallels between being a DM in Dungeons & Dragons and oh, being a teacher. Oh, yeah, I bet. In what way? Please. Well, like what you were just saying, because you could um, create your own fictional universe for your players to be in you could create your own campaign from scratch mm-hmm. or you could use a pre-written one like mm-hmm. a official like dnd mm-hmm. campaign module mm-hmm. it's a lot less work yeah and, but it's also like not really tailored to your to your players yeah you're not gonna have to spend you know a full-time job every week yes trying to plan things for your yes your group yeah. and then you have to like react to the to the players and like try to meet their needs and yeah like rather than trying to teach them it's just how best to like make mm-hmm. them have fun mm-hmm it just feels like a similar kind of environment. Obviously, you don't need a um, mm-hmm. degree for uh, being a DM. I feel like that should be a paid position. But... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there are some people that are starting to do that these days. <gasps> Yay! Paid DMs for groups. Oh, that's awesome. But it's hard work, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. With your like uh, lesson planning and stuff, and you said that those I can statements. What sort of learning goals do you have for the age group that you teach? Like, what do they actually need to learn in a year? For them. Per the government, I have to uh, meet a certain number of standards for reading, writing, oh, and speaking and listening. So there's like a bunch of standards within that, but essentially they need to be able to critically think around fiction and nonfiction texts. Nonfiction is the toughest one because kids that age, like they think of nonfiction and they think of their textbooks. So that one's a job. 
They need to be able to read and analyze poetry, read and analyze literally anything, pretty much. They need to be able to see similarities and differences between, like, different media. So if they watch the movie to a book, they need to be thinking about, like, how the different, like, writers and filmmakers, how they saw the same thing differently, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. They need to be analyzing characters, theme, you know, all the standard stuff. They need to know symbols. What books did you have them read last year or are you going to have them read this year? Yeah, so there's two of them, three, that we read as a class. Brock's Masquerade, which, like, I feel like most middle schoolers are reading these days. They're uh, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Which I thought was going to be painful, but it actually turned out to be really fun. Eighth graders have a lot of opinions about (laughs) romantic relationships. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, you were saying um, that you're having them watch, was that the... Leonardo DiCaprio one? Was yes. That, yeah, yeah. They were like, oh my gosh, Miss Vaccaro, I can't believe you let us watch that. I was like, your parents signed a piece of paper, man. <laughs> <laughs> and my whole department taught that one. So, And I was even like, oh, dude, what? And one kid, one of, oh, he's wonderful. He, one of my students who actually came to visit me not that long ago was like, Miss Vaccaro, what do you think of the cigarettes they were smoking? I was like, shut up. <laughs> Clearly weed. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, Romeo and Juliet. And I'm trying to think of what the other book is. Oh, uh, Diary of Anne Frank, The Play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh The Play. Okay. I think yeah. I read that. Too. That one's good. Yeah. Mm. Very sad. <laughs> I remember my English teachers that, like teaching like the, you know, classic story arc and mm-hmm. how like a protagonist um, like are always dynamic characters. Mm-hmm. Do you have any books that you read with static characters? Can you describe static so there are one or two books that I really like because of the fact that the protagonist doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And usually that's like mm-hmm. not how it's done. Mm-hmm. It's like the character has to learn something about themselves mm-hmm. and like progress as a person. But mm-hmm. every once in a while you can find a book where they think a certain thing or they are a certain way. Yeah. And they just have to. So for instance, one book, everybody mm-hmm. hates me for reading it. Is it an Ian Rand book? It, it is. <laughs> yeah. Ian Rand or Ayn Rand, however you're supposed to say it. The Fountainhead. Yeah. Howard Rourke, the main uh-huh. character, he's like got his ideology, his way of being an architect mm-hmm. that the rest of the world disagrees with him on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, like my way is better. Mm-hmm. Instead of him having to like change his mind about that, he just has to prove to the world that his way is better. Mm-hmm. And he does that. Yeah. It takes him like 35 years, but like wow. he, he like finally becomes like a master architect and like gets big gigs and stuff. Yeah. And it's just through like sheer perseverance. Yeah. And not not being willing to change his mind because yeah. he is right. And I feel like that can be a bad message because a lot of people like often yeah. think they're right and they're not. Yeah. But I also like it because sometimes you are right. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just always taught, especially in high school English classes, like the importance of dynamic characters and like your the side characters in a in a, a book can be static. That's fine, but the protagonist always has to be dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate when I see mm-hmm. uh, iconoclast kind of book. Yeah. Is that a part of your curriculum at all? The- um, we do talk about like tropes. Yeah. Um, like the variety of characters that come up often, like archetypes. We haven't talked about static versus non-static characters, but it is kind of woven in the curriculum that good characters are dynamic. Yeah. <clears throat> but I'm glad you brought that up just because I can even think of characters in like movies and stuff that have been static and either like it works out for them. Like, yeah, they are on the right side of history yeah and they stuck to their their moral guns or like yeah their whatever their professional viewpoints and yeah it was good for society that they did but uh, yeah i don't know i could 
And sometimes ugh, I feel like having a static character can make for a really good story sometimes too, especially if I feel like a good anti-hero can oh, yeah. often be static, you know, like a character who suffers and ultimately loses because they are immovable or yeah. stubborn in some way. I think that makes for a good story too, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. I just watched like all the Star Wars movies. For the first time or just a For the first time, yeah. Oh, okay. All nine? Oh, no, no. No, up to six. I just okay. finished episode six yesterday. And you don't have to watch the other one. I don't watch the other one. I've heard terrible things. But, um, but I would say like the first three. Uh, oh, gosh. The, the, uh, are, you, are you referring to the originals? Yeah, uh, no. So um, the, the, the originals are amazing. I'm talking about the ones that came out in like the 90s, 2000s. 2000s, yeah. yeah. Um, and I would say Anakin is like a pretty static character. He's He gets so much information that should change his mind about things, yeah. but he doesn't. Like yeah. he's such a one-track, you know, mind character. He's just character. like a kind of depressed sociopath. Yes. Yeah. And he does not, he does not move even for the people that he loves, you know? And I feel like that story is compelling because it is so frustrating yeah you're like that god damn it you have so much evidence to to force you to change your mind if you don't like so i don't know i'm in i'm in team wade with that one so <laughs> thank you that that might very well make its way into my <laughs> yeah my I, I was just always frustrated with how english teachers that i experienced yeah kind of made it seem like to be a good author or whatnot you have to follow the formula mm-hmm that that's shit yeah like if any art teacher and I, in my opinion writing is an art like right if they're like, there's one way to do this, suck it. That is not the case. That's not how art works. But anyway. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably some sort of fine line you have to, mm-hmm. like you, so you could say, most authors write this way, but you don't mm-hmm. have to. But yeah. 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 Good point. Another another thing that I would be frustrated with in English classes mm-hmm. is, to me, it seems like in an academic setting, students are often encouraged to kind of like overanalyze a text. Mm-hmm. For instance, like read into the author's, like the underlying message, like, the author describes the curtains as blue. That means there's depression as a theme of the story. It's like, what if the, the curtains are simply just blue? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't Do you see that at mm-hmm. all in your teaching or in other teachers that maybe you're reading into something that's not there? I think I experienced a lot of that in like AP Lang in high school. Yeah. Where I had like a really militant like literary teacher professor. Like she was brilliant, but she was also like, this always means this. I'm yeah. like, it probably doesn't. It probably doesn't. <laughs> and she would like grade your stuff based on like what her perception oh, of yeah. that symbol or that theme was. And I never appreciated that. Again, yeah. like I feel like if I were to ask any author or artist, like, what does this mean? They'd be like, well, what does it mean to you? You know? Oh, okay. That was um, another question I was going to ask. Yeah. No, it's it's so open to interpretation, I feel like. Any art is. And I don't, I think any good artist is like, whatever your human experience makes it mean for you so yeah and in college i had a lot of i had like a very militant like spanish literature teacher who i would like ask him for help and he'd be like how do you not know that that what that means and i feel like that's the kind of like it's just like i cannot stand being under the tutelage of those kind of people so i don't know yeah i definitely like not, I, I think that's not so much a problem in middle school. Yeah. In middle school, we're just trying to get them to even just keep an eye out for those things. Oh, okay. And then, and there are students who like will freaking notice like a, a something that comes up multiple times throughout a text. And I think yeah. those are symbols that matter. Right. I think if you're going to pick apart every goddamn color, right. food, whatever, like sure, you can spend your time doing that, but your time is better spent looking at the patterns. Yeah. So I don't know. That's my approach. And like... 
sure, you can get meaning out of every little thing, but you can never step away thinking like, I know exactly what the author was doing when they did this, because you just don't, you know? You're not in their brain. And yeah, just not not agonizing over little every little thing. You just want the you want the main you know, I you know, I don't know. You could really spend a lot of time picking apart any piece of art. Yeah. But your time is best spent on like the overall meaning. Yeah. And bits of meaning throughout, but Yeah. You you already kinda answered this, but I just I'll say it anyway, I guess. But because one thing I think about sometimes is like where does the meaning come from in mm-hmm. art? Like, is, is the meaning more on the creator's side or on the reader's side? Do mm-hmm. you, you think then, like, typically art is, like, subjective? It's up to the person experiencing it to decide what it means? Or do you think that the creator of it mm-hmm. has, has the final say over what the, what the piece means? I, I'm in the camp of, like, and this is me speaking from, like, a like point of having heard many writers and artists, like, in podcasts and in like talks and stuff saying like like i feel like so often people go to like their favorite like author or artist and be like well what does this mean on page blah 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 and they're like whatever you want and like people are so unsatisfied with that (laughs) answer but to me that's great you know like the whole point of art is to get you kind of critiquing your own experience as a human yeah not like trying to agonize over someone else's like thing and treat it like some mystery to be solved you know about them i don't know so uh, yeah i'm of the camp that like i think most at least the kind of artists that i identify with are those that are like you know this is just me writing from my or making art from my perspective yeah but i want you to apply it to your own life and use it to grow as a person within yourself you know i don't want you to sit and agonize over what's going on in how this applies to me and my personal life experience. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I think it does. Yeah. Okay. That is one, uh, one issue that I do have with mm-hmm. Ayn Rand mm-hmm. is uh, she definitely tries way too hard to push her own perspective. Yes. That is work. a criticism I've heard. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it doesn't leave you much room for making it your own. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One, one last thing I wanted to ask you about for um, we can talk a little bit about mental health mm-hmm. is, um, do you have much contact with the local school board at all? Uh, more recently, I've been more aware of what they're doing. I haven't talked to them or shown up at any school board meetings, but I've like watched them, yeah. bits of them. And, you know, with the... I have feelings. <laughs> what, what are your feelings? <laughs> um, you know, like I've been thinking about this recently, especially with like this new potential for like the laws around like teaching anything that's even smells of CRT CRT, and how I work in a district that's predominantly conservative. And it, you know, like as much as I want to sit here and complain, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a public servant and I work for the community. Yeah. So I, I in no way want to just become a shill for them because it's right. not teaching. Like that's not what you're paying me to do. If you want, your kids be indoctrinated into who blah 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 send them to a catholic school to send them to a catholic school exactly <laughs> so yeah but i do try to remember that like i am like these people were elected by the community i work for i am in a way like working for them so but i think any teacher you talk to probably has some issue with their school board yeah because they decide our wages and depending on their ideology or how they're feeling they might think you deserve shit for money, even yeah. though you're watching their children upwards of 40 hours a week. And I'm sure you're aware, like, people who tend to stay on the right side of things 
are not always really like pro public education. So. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems a little bit absurd to me that um, people with no history in teaching mm -hmm. or working in schools mm -hmm. can be elected to school boards and decide how the schools function. I think that too. I think most teachers feel that way though. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that what they do and that they make sure that their people feel represented. But um, sometimes I do wish there were a little more space for the people who are on the ground in the schools to be there, you know. Yeah. So, but there, it just feels like sometimes we're, they love us, but they also hate us. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my friend um, who teaches the intellectually disabled students was mm -hmm. telling me about how the school board um, decided to renovate the school, which is oh, good. Nice. That's awesome. Got air conditioning out of it. Yay. But um, the classroom that they specifically designed for his students, they um, didn't design it actually in favor of those types of students at all. A lot wow. of them are wheelchairs. Yes. And they designed the sinks <gasps> to be higher than they can reach. No. And they designed Bad. only one door. So for like fire <gasps> exits, you would have to no. like break through the glass of the windows and what? lift the kids in their wheelchairs out of the windows somehow. Oh my gosh. That is atrocious. And they um, decided for carpet when the kids get stuff on the ground. And then there's like chocolate stains in the ground for a whole year um, rather than tile. Yeah. So it's like if you simply ask the teacher like how to design your classroom, they'd have better information than the school board exactly. coming up with stuff. And uh, Yes. And that's the difference, right? Like to integrate the entire educational community along yeah. with the, yeah. And like we're we're just out here for their kids too. I think sometimes school boards forget that. It's like we we care about your children more than anything. Like sure, you could be a turd, but the at the end of the day, I care about your kids so much. Yeah. Like I just want them to have a good time while they're here and not suffer, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're not getting paid to be here, so at the very least they should be comfortable. So yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect example of kind of the gap yeah. between the school boards and the people who are serving the kids. I like, just thought they, it was ridiculous. That's so disappointing. Oh my god. You'd think by 2021, man. <laughs> yeah. Be a little less ableist, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, can I sneak something in real quick? Do it. So I just want to cover a base that I left open earlier. So we were talking about CRT and what it is and what it isn't and how it gets conflated with everything that makes people fragilely white. But I did also want to clarify because I feel like often folks my age and younger of the white persuasion who uh, are more like self-professedly like uh, progressive. Yeah. Often we like to do this thing where we point at other white people and go, you're racist and I'm not because right. I'm woke. I get so <laughs> sick of that shit. And I feel like it is so much of what allows more conservative white folks to be like, these people suck and yeah. they're mean and we're not racist they just think we are and we need to shut them up. And like, that's so unproductive. Like yeah. I really just am not a big fan of like white people calling other people, white people racist yeah. uh, from a place of like superiority, you know? Um, and I see so much of that happening. Like here in River West, I see it all the time. I'm like, Oh, some like at some of the um, protests last year, post George Floyd. Yeah. I, I went to a couple of them and there was just, just a lot of folks like my age and younger. By the way, I'm 30. Um, oh, yeah. Happy birthday. Yay. Thank you, Wade. Happy <laughs> birthday to you too, buddy. Um, Virgo season. Um, <laughs> like they're just, one, like taking up airspace. Like I don't can't tell you how many white women my age were like, 
You poli- like standing in front of police officers going like, you guys are demons. Fuck you. You'll yeah. never be good. And then like the black folks in the crowd just being like, hey, white ladies, can you just shut the fuck up? Yeah. Like just completely making it about themselves and how they're like the good white person and whatever. And like they're so much better than these police officers as if they didn't grow up in the same fucking suburbs. Right. Listening to the same bullshit, you know. I don't know. So well, it's like if the, I can, yeah. <laughs> it's like the classic um, way to like cope with issues rather than actually dealing with them is by externalizing them. Yes. Like taking issues that you have inside yourself and then just putting them on someone else and yes. thinking of them as the villain. Yes. Rather than actually involving yeah. what's inside of you. Exactly. And like you've probably heard the phrase like "do the work" like, yeah. lately. Uh, I know it gets completely overused, but when folks say like "stop." projecting all your shit onto other white folks like yeah. do the work on you i think that holds a lot of meaning and that i'm in no way saying like don't call white people out other white people out when they're doing fuck shit like no yeah. do but don't come from a place of superiority just be like hey man like i've done the same crap like but let's just not for x y and z reasons like yeah just yeah i don't know so i i understand like i think of your crt guy who you interviewed nate. and i'm like nate yeah i'm like ooh, i bet he got called racist by a, like a hippie white person i'm sure he so, has yeah. yeah so and like i feel like sometimes we conflate implicit bias and overt racism and we just call them the same thing right yeah it's um, it's, it's there's like a disconnect between meanings because yeah if you're absolutely. calling your parents racist for instance mm-hmm. They have a completely different conception of what the term racism means. Yes, they're thinking KKK. Yeah. Yes. They're not thinking like microaggressions. Yes. Or whatever. Or yeah. Subconscious. Yeah, and they get biased. Very offended. Yeah. yeah. They're, so they're thinking like I literally swear at black people when I see them. Yeah. Or like I've clutch ne- my purse and shit. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, or like you know I hate black people. They, so they, they, yeah. The constant like oh no I've got a black friend. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> and i oh my god yeah and as cringy as that is like we as the younger people who are a little more attuned to these things like we need to meet them where they're at yeah. and like just assure them that the language you're using is not like to blame them yeah i feel like using the term implicit bias like as much as i i know conservatives this day and age like again like they they think that's me calling them at a, a terrible person but right. like if you just explain to someone like hey your implicit bias is not necessarily your fault yeah. you grew up in an imperfect world and you soaked in all the information you were supposed to soak in but now we know that's not serving us and it's not serving everyone around us so yeah. we have to work to break it down that's a whole different thing i i had a decent conversation with someone who was really afraid of that word for a while i was like hey it has nothing to do with you someone at school i was like like i feel like it's more so addressing when I say implicit bias, it has to do with your social conditioning, not your cognitive, you know, your right. choices. Yeah. And they kind of let their guard down. They're like, oh, shoot. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It's like, okay. But like, it takes some effort to get there. And it also takes like a, a minute of like, you know, you got to, I know, like, we on the, we white folks on the, on the left get a little feisty. And we just want to jump out at the first other white person who says something remotely yeah. biased, but just slow it down, man. Just yeah. Um, remember where you were 10 years ago. This is even further off topic than um, <laughs> education, but I, I have a few problems with with um, the term woke or like being mm-hmm. being woke. One I of should. them, it's it's one problem I have with, with the book, White Fragility, mm-hmm. is um, if I remember right, it kind of defines racism in the terms of like a power 
uh, structure mm -hmm. where you can only be racist if you're the one in power. Yeah. Which I reject that idea. Yeah. Because then it makes it seem like only white people can be racist. Mm -hmm. Where it's like ever, anybody can be racist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like mm -hmm. one trend that I sometimes see in like the the, the woke left is yeah. like basically giving everybody except white people a pass for everything they do. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like everybody can be shitty. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think you brought up the once the idea of like the tolerance. What is it? Paradox. Paradox. Yeah. I feel like that gets super mixed in with things and like and there are other countries where uh white people are just not the main demographic yeah. in every country but well, there is still racism present i mean i think in in the case of white fragility that would still be racism because it's about sure. the majority group or the the, yeah. the group in power so like sure and that might apply in the u.s absolutely yeah yeah like if, if you've got um israel then you might call the the israelites the the racists yes ones yeah the, the, the palestinians freaking jews yeah <laughs> but it's like palestinians can be racist too yeah oh sure yeah and it really depends on who's in the room and who is in power in the room yeah yeah good point i feel like we had this discussion about like cultural appropriation ones too and how it's yeah. just like a little more nuanced right. than folks tend to think it is yeah yeah i just yeah. i i i get how um not every conversation conversation has the room for like all these ca caveats and nuanced positions but yeah I, I do dislike a lot of the time when i see like oversimplification of same difficult topics yeah absolutely that's how you drive people away from it yeah it's not leaving room for the nuance and the gray areas yeah for sure i don't know maybe we only have like 20 minutes left but with that last 20 <laughs> cool. minutes we could uh spend it talking about mental health sick yeah um and at first he said mental health among middle schoolers but also mm -hmm. just mental health generally yeah 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 that's just really been so much of my focus on myself and my students this past uh, 20 2020 2021 20, school year um when i left grad school last time i talked to you i was like really in deep in anxiety that I have been dealing with for my whole life, but I didn't really, I wasn't really forced to actually grapple with it until COVID and I was like locked in my house and it was just a very dark, cloudy two months before grad, the end of grad school and stuff like that. And finally ended up like doing something for myself, doing, you know, going to therapy, getting medicated and actually examining like the trauma that has helped me get to the place where I am. And undoing really negative coping strategy or uh, coping mechanisms and stuff yeah. like that. And it's been just fascinating to see how many of my students are in the exact same boat. Like I have so many students, particularly female that, and again, I could have plenty of anxious boys. I have no idea, but again, toxic yeah. masculinity might prevent them from saying anything that deal with like generalized anxiety, eating disorders, particularly among the young girls depression, all sorts of stuff. And it's just like become, it's been even more so a wake up call for me to like, just notice that like my students can only do so much when they're really suffering internally. Yeah. And they're, my priority is making sure that their mental health is okay. One for themselves, but also so that they can learn. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I grew up really anxious and some of my hardest years where stuff was going on at home, my grades slipped for sure. And like, why wouldn't they? So I feel like that need has to be met before I can teach them oh, yeah. effectively. Do you feel comfortable sharing any specifics? Like what was the, the shape of the anxiety? Like what did it, what kind of Oh yeah, last year? Yeah, yeah. For students, for me, for, for both. you, or, Yeah, for both, yeah. I guess I'll start for me just because I know myself best. Um, it was a lot of rumination, 
So something happens and I spend an entire day thinking about it. I also had like visual symptoms that still linger. Like what? Have you heard of visual snow? Is it seeing snow that's not there? I don't no, know it's it like, um, that's, it's a really bad name for it, but it's okay. essentially like, it tends to happen in folks with chronic anxiety where like in certain lighting situations, they'll, their vision will look really grainy. Oh, okay. Um, and they tend to have like br- real brightness sensitivity. Um, and ever since COVID lockdown, I've had that. That's a problem um, with anxiety, not eyes. Like- it could be both. Oh, okay. Um, I've had my eyes checked since. Oh, okay. And she was like, no, you're good. Like, have you heard of visual snow? Blah, blah. I was like, no. And she told me all about it. So that's, that was a big issue for me for a while. It has gotten better since I've gotten medicated and started ex- exercising a lot more regularly. But for me, that was a big issue derealization which for folks who don't know it's like where you it's kind of like a truman show (laughs) feeling and i've had that for like decades and i had no idea really yeah isn't that wild yeah oh i um i don't know maybe more often than not doubt reality yeah Yeah. absolutely and it feels like for me it would feel like i'm looking at the world and it's like two-dimensional and i'd feel like well like how do i know that anything's real and like low-key you don't but like in a non-anxious mind you're like I'm kind of okay with that. What can I do about it? You right. know? Yeah. But yeah, plenty of that. Like dizziness. And of course, just like feeling it constantly on edge. Like mm. my death is upon me. Maybe like <laughs> that's, that's a panic attack, right? right. Which yeah, happens yeah. sometimes, but mostly like. You're like racing heartbeat or something? Yeah. Like, like constantly feeling like dehydrated. But like what's going through your mind, like on a very primitive level is like. You, you feel like you're in trouble yeah, all the like time. A constant, like, like, low-level fight-or-flight response. Yes, happening. absolutely. Absolutely. And it, like, really harbors your ability to, like, just be a normal person socializing. And, yeah. Um, it was a struggle my first couple months of teaching. It, like, since you're so preoccupied, you lose your train of thought really quickly. Oh, yeah. And have to get back to it. So that was it for me. With my students, it would manifest in the form of, like, utter silence. Like, really bright kids who would write beautifully being like completely silent during class or when I'd call on them, they just panic and go, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, I know, you know, dude, you yeah. know. So, um, that was that like a sort of performance anxiety? Like were they worried about being called on? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Because their writing was just like phenomenal. Yeah. They'd be absent for a long time. Cause some of them had like really frequent panic attacks. Oh yeah. Which is just hell. I've been lucky not to have much of that. Trouble socializing. They aren't able to... Some, I had some students who couldn't eat in groups because oh, yeah. of, you know, nervous eating disorders, stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. So what do you think was the cause of this anxiety in yourself? And... <laughs> You're fired. I just knocked my <laughs> microphone over. <laughs> what do you think was the cause of this anxiety in yourself and in your students? Um, I think... Aside from the performance, I guess. Yeah, the- yeah. I think at the core of it, it's like... It's often trauma, like, and, and the, people are genetically yeah predisposition predisposed to anxiety. For for me, um, I grew up in a very like tu- like turbulent like family situation. Like my parents were married, but there was domestic abuse going on, alcoholism stuff like that. So I was kind of trained to just stay on edge all the time yeah. in case something went down, in case I had to intervene between my mom and one of my siblings or like something like that, and. Just living in a constant state of like anything, something ter- terrible could happen anytime. Yeah. And you better damn well be ready to deal with it, 10 year old Ariel. Um, <laughs> and that creates like, as my therapist called it, like complex trauma, where your brain just like 
turns on anxiety all the time mm. so that you can protect yourself. But then it results in like adrenal wear out and like just anxiety yeah. overall. So for me, it was that in combination with like lifestyle choices. Like I was drinking way too much caffeine for my type of brain. During COVID, I don't think I was exercising enough. Alcohol does not help me. Weed does not help me. Just so all of those factors weren't helping. But like I said, I've been dealing with anxiety for my whole life. I just didn't know what it was. I thought that was like how everybody lived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, this is existence. <laughs> um, and it, yeah. Once I found out it wasn't, I was like, oh, okay. But yeah. And like having fears about like my, I grew up in a family where they'd like, if someone said you need a therapist, it was from a place of like, you're like fucked up and you're crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is like pretty ironic. Maybe not ironic, but just like sad coming from a family of like alcoholics and people with OCD and anxiety and stuff like that. So, so I had a lot of shame around like getting a therapist or like I for sure as hell didn't want to get on medication. But after a while, I was like, okay, I have to do this. But and then just like the day to day demands of being a person in 2021, like having a fucking phone. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I feel like I was consuming way more news than I needed to. And, like, same goes for my students. Like, they're constantly, their lives are constantly on display at school, on their phones. They co- they have so many people to answer to. They have to answer to me. They have to answer to their coaches, their parents, their little siblings. Like, I freaking feel for them. And it does not surprise me that so many of them deal with anxiety yeah. and depression. So, among other things, right? So, yeah, I think it's, like, a, co- a combination of, like, trauma and lifestyle and unrealistic demands on human brains yeah do you feel differently now i do yeah like i feel like all the same struggles and challenges are there but i just know how to handle them better Mm. um and i know how to i have a better idea of what's a big deal and what's not yeah um and so much of that getting there was like understanding that i'm a reasonable person and if i make mistakes that's okay if i forget things that's okay and if someone's mad at me which I have been trained to think like is the worst thing in the whole world is like someone I care about being mad at me. Like that's okay. You know, if, if that person cares about me enough, they'll find a way to forgive me. And that took like a straight up year to like actually oh, yeah. ingrain in myself. So I'm a very like guilty, anxious person. Like, oh. oh my God. I forgot this person's hoopah. <laughs> I suck. Like, yeah. you don't. <laughs> There's this one quote that I don't remember exactly, but I like, it's something like people always wake up the next morning uh, thinking like, oh, I mean, I was such like, I was so stupid, like all those mistakes I made yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, but they never wake up thinking like, oh, that other person's so stupid, all those mistakes they made. Yes, so, exactly. Like, yeah, you're your worst, yeah. your harshest critic and people yes. probably aren't thinking of you as harshly as you're thinking of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. There is a certain level of self-obsession that goes into being yeah. very anxious. And I've like since getting out of the deep depths of my anxiety, I've been able to see like how difficult I was to be around. Just being around someone who's very anxious and not doing anything about it. Mm. It's, it feels like you're around like kind of a narcissist. Like they're just constantly like, Oh my God, what did that person think of me? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I guarantee they're literally not even, they're probably taking a shit right now. Not <laughs> yeah. even thinking about it. Yeah. Like, and they never they're thinking about their own problem. Yeah. So yeah. like, when, I don't know. My therapist kind of worded it in a polite way and told me that I was like, dang, you're right. You're right. Like, <laughs> yeah. But like, 
so much of it is like the anxiety around that is often justified because folks who think that way have unfortunately usually been exposed to people who might be like hypercritical of them yeah. or uh, really guilted them into things or like just invalidated their feelings or really gaslighted the hell out of them in a lot of ways to a degree where they feel they can't even trust their instincts, Yeah, which is really sad, but you, you can get out of it for sure. Just yeah. gotta reteach yourself. Yeah, so. sometimes it can be like a vicious circle where you being so worried about all your mistakes does make you into a narcissist, kind of mm -hmm. makes, makes you into somebody that is hard to be around. Yes, And absolutely. then that kind of further justifies your worries about your your own behavior and then it just kind of cycles. So you gotta somehow yeah. break that. Absolutely, and it's yeah. tough. Like I personally known people who are still in that hole yeah. at my age, so. Yeah, me too. And they might be in it forever. Like, that's, that's rough, man. You gotta want better for yourself. Yeah. What do you think's been, if there's a most important thing, what do you think's been the most important thing to uh, improving your mental health? Is it the therapy? Is it the exercise? Is it the combination? I would say, I would say therapy. Yeah. I would say therapy because like if I had to strip away literally everything else, if I had to give away, give up medication, if I had to give up exercise, I would stick with the therapy because having a objective person to talk to who is not your family who is yeah. not your partner, who is not a coworker, someone whose motiva excuse me, someone whose motivation is solely to help you make good decisions about your life and live a healthful, fulfilling life is invaluable. Yeah. Because and has training so they know what they're talking about. Yes, thank you. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I've heard people say things like, I'm my own therapist, or like, I have I talk to my boyfriend, or I talk to my family. You you know how much work you're giving that damn person? They're not getting paid <laughs> enough to do that. Yeah. So if you value or if I value my relationships with the people I love and I want to be a good person for them, I have to keep my therapist because if I don't, my anxiety brain will take over or I'll end up overusing my support systems, you know, and also like talking to your family is great. Talking to your siblings is great. Talking to your partner is great, but they all have certain motivations about what you do. Yeah. Like I know my mom wants me to do a certain thing. So if I go to her with the question of like, hey, should I go to grad school again she'd be like you know yeah do it and i'd be like oh well i have a lot of debt and she'd be like do it anyway you know like <laughs> they just want me to like keep going with my you know so yeah. like uh having an objective viewer from the outside who's there really just asking you questions to guide help you guide yourself to what's best for you rather than telling you what to do that's really helpful and you can just know that their motivations are solely for you so they don't know any of the other people in your life. They don't want anything specific for you. Uh, I will specify, though, there are some shitty therapists oh, yeah. who, this is why I'll never get a therapist who has like a religious persuasion. Oh, right. Because yeah. I can fucking smell that shit. Yeah. Or people who aren't even therapists. They're yes. just literally priests and they uh, themselves office. No! As a no, 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 mental no. health professional. Oh, awful. Yes. So <laughs> I talked to my pastor about it. Oh, my right. gosh. Yeah. No. <laughs> and like, I'm sure there are some really good pastors, but like, oh, no. But yeah, to me, that's just invaluable. I want that for the rest of my life. And I happen to have a really good therapist right now who charges me very little. That's good. Um, so yeah, she's just helped me. I was dealing with like a really, really messy romantic situation. Like not, I mean, not su like a year ago or so um, and all throughout the last year. And she kept me sane throughout that. And just help me make really good decisions instead of just getting stuck in a rut, which I think often folks do if they don't have someone on their side saying like, yeah. hey, do you notice this horrible toxic pattern going on in your life? 
yeah, there's there's no replacement for that. I don't think so. Do you know the uh, like school of thought that your um, therapist fits into? Like cognitive Ooh. behavioral, or they like psychoanalysis, or they um, probably cognitive. Yeah. But what's humanistic? Tell me. They um, might not or try to change your behavior as much as change your outlook. Um, I would say she's probably in that camp. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she does give me like real tangible advice that I can apply in my daily life, like healthy coping mechanisms. Hmm. But she's also like really helpful at shifting my perspective. Yeah. Which to me is a really sustaining way to make change. Oh yeah. So I feel like so much of anxiety is is outlook and perspective for me at least. So yeah, I would call her that. I had no idea it was called that. So. I wonder how a therapist actually goes about getting their clients to change their mind or change their behavior because you can you can ask people things, you can tell them things, but how do you actually make sure those things happen? Mm-hmm. Seems to to be a problem with a few people that I know. Yeah, They're like they do go to therapy, but like, how how do you actually convince them as a therapist to change? Yeah, good point. And I have no I, idea. I feel like <laughs> most like mental health professionals that I've had the privilege of talking just because I work with like social workers and stuff. The person has to want it. Like you yeah. can go to therapy. Oh my! Oh my! Therapist asked me the funniest question when I first started. She was like, "So just so I know that I'm serving you in the way you want, would you prefer a therapist like a session where you do a lot of talking and I kind of just give you a space to listen, or would you like some feedback?" And I'm like, "Uh, I want some feedback." <laughs> and she was like, "Okay." I was like, "Why? Why do you feel like you gotta ask that question?" She was like, "People, some people genuinely do not want me to talk," and. I, that is like, I, I, I have family members who go to therapy and they spend their whole hour lying to their therapist about what they're doing and um, stuff like that. No, it's not. And your therapist knows that, but like they have to, that's their job. So, and what good would it be to sit there and try to convince this person that they're, especially like, um, there are certain personality disorders that are like damn near impossible to get through unless someone is really self-aware um but by nature those disorders make it so you're not self-aware so like those people often like if they're going to therapy they might just be blabbing and like their therapist might get a question in every once in a while but you have no idea if it's just going like this or like right just using their ego to dodge it and like so yeah really good question it can be completely useless for a lot of people yeah where they go and get they just get shit off their chest and do no real self-examination. Right. So. But I guess you won't know if it's uh, useful or not until you go. Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I feel feel like if you're open to it and you're not there to just like talk at someone, you'll yeah. get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think therapy would be um, beneficial for me to go to as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody probably, but mm-hmm. I think about this sometimes. I'd like to have a therapist, but yeah, I don't have health insurance and I don't know yeah. if I want to splash out. Yeah. I, some point down the line when I have a better financial situation. Yeah, yeah, highly recommend. I, I get my therapist through Open Path. Just American health insurance is shitty for therapy because they, yeah. the American healthcare system isn't a big, big uh, believer in preventative medicine and like um, is long term isn't, isn't. Oh, no. Yeah. So like, if you want to see a therapist. They'll cover like five therapist sessions and then they're like, we're, we're not going to pay for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. We'll, we'll take care of you when you break your leg. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, that's why I go through open path. They'll, my lady lets me pay her $40 every time, wow. which is absurd. How often do you meet with her? I meet with her once a week. Oh, okay. When I was a broke college student, I met with her every two weeks. 
and some of them will let you do once a month. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's always been one of my biggest issues with our mm-hmm. healthcare system is that we're more about doing it reactively or yes. rather than proactively. Absolutely, it's um, absurd. <laughs> which is why I actually, for real, get a little bit annoyed, mm-hmm. like inside. Yeah. I don't express it um, when somebody tells me that they're going to school for nursing. Yeah. Because I'm like, that, I don't think that's what we need. I mean, sure, obviously we have a nursing shortage, but what we yeah. really need is more preventive care. Absolutely, nutritionists, dietitians, yeah, yeah mental health care professionals. Right. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking for about probably about two hours. And, nice. Uh, so um, before we end, mm-hmm. have you been reading any good books recently? <gasps> yes, Wade. I meant to tell you. So during my like hour and a half of commuting every day, I've been listening to The Name of the Wind. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. How do they pronounce the main character's name? I haven't actually listened to it. Kavolf. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, was, I was always something reading it that I wasn't uh-huh. really sure how to How's say it How is it spelled? Um, K-V-O-T-H-E. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Kavol. So, yeah. That's what they call him. Just such a weird name. Why is he also called Reshi? It's been like three years since I read Bass it. calls him Reshi. It might be It might be a word that means like master or something. Got it. Okay, okay. Because how far into it are you? Um, I just got to the part where, um, without any spoilers, he he was in that really gnarly city. Oh, yeah. He just was begging like and street, stuff. Street urchin. Yes. And he just... Met a guy named Scarpy. Oh. Who's a storyteller. Oh, I love that part. Oh, actually. great. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. It's one of my favorite parts of the book. I love Scarpy. it. Scarpy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't remember what gets revealed when, but yeah, I think Bast is his like servant. So Yeah. Okay, cool. I think he just calls him yeah. Master in a different language. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Great book series. Oh, so um, excited. My probably my favorite fiction book is mm-hmm. name of the wind oh great yeah i'm stoked it's been a long time finally i'm like i'm doing this <laughs> it's like a 24 hour oh yeah audiobook, it's, it's like a thousand Wade. pages <gasps> i was so into it that i read it in like a day and a half I was just spending like eight hours oh straight just reading it wow like two winters ago or something oh that's beautiful as yeah. an english teacher yeah i really appreciate that <laughs> all right yeah i definitely recommend that as well cool what are you reading Wade? right now i'm reading um the dungeon master's guide oh, to D. love it uh, after I read that, then I'll read the book that you got me. Nice. Um, okay, sick. But yeah, for for I went to for my birthday and picked up the uh, player's manual and dun- dungeon master's manual. Oh, got to read those before I can start trying to DM. I'm so stoked. I got Bill some. Uh, we went to Ren Fair. Oh yeah. And I got him uh, his first set of dice. Oh nice. So he's yeah. ready. <laughs> oh sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on this podcast. My it's my pleasure. I'm honored. Oh, yeah. And uh, thank <laughs> you for listening. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for being such an active listener, Wade. You're just a really good interviewer. So. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and see you next time. Bye.